things that we do here at King of Grace is that we'll pick a book from the Bible and we'll preach all the way through it. This way we're getting the whole Bible, we're getting the whole scripture, the whole counsel of God. Because if we were left to ourselves, right, we would avoid certain subjects. We wouldn't talk about the things that made us uncomfortable talking about me, talking about. So for me, one of the things that are uncomfortable talking about is giving. And not that I'm against giving, not that I'm against giving to the church, because I've been giving to the church as long as I can remember. And I've been giving to other people as long as I can remember. But I just never really felt comfortable talking about giving and about um, uh, money and stuff. And so a while back, Paul preached on giving, and I thought, boy, glad that wasn't me. <laughs> and then, later on in another book, Toby preached about giving. I thought, boy, I'm glad that wasn't me. So when I went to the preaching schedule, and I saw that it was preaching on giving, I'm like, why me? <laughs> so <laughs> the, uh, the answer is pretty obvious, right? There's no clue about it. But even though I feel uncomfortable talking about money and talking about giving, God doesn't. And Scripture doesn't feel uncomfortable at all because it's an important, important thing. And one of the things that Scripture teaches us is that where our treasure is, that's where our heart's going to be. And when it comes to giving, we can easily see how much we value that. And we can easily see our heart when it comes to this um, issue. So I'm going to go ahead and read the Scripture that we're looking at, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to kind of dig in and look to see what is giving and what's at the heart of giving and what God wants us to learn from this. So we're going to be looking at first, no, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. And actually, I'll say this too, that we're going to be looking at a lot of different scripture. I think I have like 20-some slides up there, so hopefully Dan will be able to keep up with us because <laughs> I'm not going to take a lot of time. I'm just going to throw them up. But, uh, um, and if not, you can just kind of listen if you can't uh, get them in time. So here's what it says. It says, uh, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed into a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, and as I can testify, beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then, by the will of God, to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this manner I give my judgment, this benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has not according to what he does not have. For I mean that others should not be eased and you burden, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Let me pray quick. 
Father God, we come before you now, Lord, who uh, is a God of giving. And you want to instruct us in giving. And you want to address our hearts in giving. And Lord, you want, us, you want uh, our hearts to be like your heart. So Lord, be with us this morning as we dive into this and we learn uh, what it is that you want to teach us. In your name, amen. So, we want to look at what the Apostle Paul has to say to the Corinthians. And so he talks about this giving thing. And the idea to give for them had started earlier. And actually, the idea of giving had started years earlier for the, for the disciples. Um, and uh, when the disciples were together and it's determined that Peter's going to go to the Jewish people, Paul's going to go to the Gentiles, they, Paul says this, he says, the only thing they asked us to, only that they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. So this had started years ago, and this was kind of a trademark of the faith, was the idea to give. And Paul says, they reminded me to do it, and it was the very thing that I wanted to do. This had also began in the Corinthians some time ago. And the Corinthians had begun to set aside money. But it seemed like somewhere along the line, they stopped doing this. They stopped what they had started to do. Because Paul tells them in verses 10 and 11, he says, this benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but the desire to do it. So now finish doing it well, so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. See, they wanted to give, but somehow, for some reason, they stopped doing this. They never finished, and they never gave. So Corinth, if you remember from this, going through this book, it's a, it's a wealthy city. So the problem isn't that the people don't have resources. The problem is, somehow or another, their hearts began right, and they wanted to do this, but somewhere along the line, things changed, and they just didn't follow through. So Paul encourages them to finish what they began. And in this passage, he's not just saying finish what you began, but he's saying this is the heart of what it looks like, and this is how you're able to finish what you began. So Paul tells them, first of all, about this church in Macedonia. So the churches in Macedonia are um, the Thessalonians, the Philippians, and the Bereans. Now these people had it hard. They were hit very, very hard. Their lives were not easy at all. They were poor, and they were persecuted. They had been persecuted for some time, and there was no end in sight to the persecution. It appeared that it was going to be con to continuing. So if you think of someone who was poor, extreme poverty, and being persecuted at the same time, what would you expect their giving to look like? Maybe no giving. Maybe just a very little giving. Maybe giving kind of grudgingly, not really wanting to. But the exact opposite thing happens. Because in the severe test of affliction, it says in verses 2 and 4, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty overflow in this wealth of generosity. And they give according to the means, as I can testify, beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They're experiencing the severe test this severe affliction, as he says it, and yet their generosity overflows. They were begging for the favor of giving to those people who were in need. This isn't at all what you would expect. And it even takes Paul by surprise, too. And Paul says this was not at all what we expected. Because make no mistake at all, 
Poverty and persecutions are trials. They are afflictions. And they are difficult. And where does your heart go during times of difficult, difficulty, right? When you have to walk down this path. Now we know that we're called to count it all joy whenever we meet trials, right? Because we know that our faith is tested in it. We know that our faith is completed in it. We know that it's refined and we know that it's finished and we have a stronger faith. But it's difficult to do, right? It's extremely difficult to do. And no one at all does it perfect. And it seems like some of us, we don't hardly do it at all. And so this is kind of what Paul was talking about. But here we see the Macedonians, right? And they are giving and they are giving and they have a heart that wants to give even more. And Paul tells the Corinthians, he's like, look at these guys. Look at their situation and look at what they are doing. So how do the Macedonians do it? How can they be so generous despite the circumstances, despite the situation in which they're in? Before we look at that, we want to look at the second example that Paul gives them. Because he gives them two examples. He gives them one of the Macedonians and the other one of Jesus. When he talks about the Macedonians, he says the Macedonians are poor. They were extremely poor. But then he looks at Jesus Christ, and he says, Jesus Christ is rich. He says in verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. When Paul is saying, though he was rich, what he's talking about, he's talking about this pre-existent glory of Jesus Christ. When he was with God and he was in heaven, um, he's sitting in the throne of God, the Father, of, the Father on high, right? And we know that God is sitting on this throne, high and lifted up. And all things were his. All glory was his. All beauty was his. All power was his. And for your sake, he gave it all up. And for your sake, he became poor. He was born to a young peasant woman the wife of a carpenter, but he was God in human form. Philippians 2, verses 68 says, Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. He didn't do this so that you become financially rich, but that you become spiritually rich. And he did it to come to die in our place for our sins, so that we might spend eternity in heaven with him. This is giving, this example of what Christ did. He gave everything. When Scripture says rich to poor, think about just that difference between having everything and giving it up for someone else. Um, and he doesn't do it so that we're rich here and that we're rich now and that we have money throughout our lives. But he does this ultimately so that we are rich in heaven. Some of you may have heard already, Mickey's sister uh, passed away yesterday. And... Um, uh, her name is Barb, lived, uh, lived just like 10 minutes away from us. Many of you guys uh, knew her probably from the Christmas tea. She was a faithful comer. She came every year to that. Um, absolutely loved it. One of the things about Barb, and this is just so amazing, 
the gift that God gives us is that Barb had cerebral palsy, so her right side was um, you know, much weaker than her left side. And so her, throughout her life, she struggled with that. She had braces on her legs as a child growing up, um, couldn't do you know, most of the things that uh, other people could do um, physically, and she struggled with it her whole life. When she gets to heaven, because Jesus Christ was rich, and he became poor for us, is going to get a body that doesn't have cerebral palsy and doesn't have any of those weaknesses. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? Barb was not perfect. She had her sins. She had her faults. She had her shortcomings. She had those things that you loved about her, and she had those things that irritated you. We all are like that, right? She will be free of all of that stuff. She is free as of this moment of all that stuff. She has no sin. She has no irritation. She has nothing that bothers us. Because Jesus Christ was rich, and he gave it up for her. I can't wait to see her. I can't wait to see what it's like, this gift that God has given her. To see her without any, without any physical limitations, without any sin issues, without any shortcomings. This is, what, this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. He said, Jesus Christ, though he was rich, though he was in glory, he came to earth in order to give you this. If you put your faith in him, if you believe in him, this is the gift that he's given. When he's saying you're going to be rich, this is what you're going to be rich. This is what he's ultimately talking. It's not here. It's not temporary. It's not for the next you know, 50, 60, 70 years but it's for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. It is for eternity. And Paul is telling the Corinthians, look at the Macedonians. Look at Jesus Christ. This is the way that I want you to give. So how do you do it? What's this heart of giving? It says, they were begging us earnestly for the, this is verses 4 and 5, they were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this was not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. They were able to give the way they gave because they first gave themselves to the Lord. They loved the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their mind. And they gave themselves to the Lord. They put their faith in him. They put their trust in him because he cares for us. His steadfast love endures forever. They didn't put their faith in money. They didn't trust money to take care of them. Because money can come and go. Jobs can come and go. Savings can come and go. And even if we had money for our entire lives, from the day that we were born until the day that we died, it is only temporary. It is only a treasure that's here on earth. It's not the treasure that's in heaven. It's not what's permanent, and it's not what is eternal. And so they relied on God. They put themselves first to God, or they gave themselves first to God. Jesus in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on heaven, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. They were poor in money, but they were rich in faith. 
And they were storing up treasures in heaven. And this is what you need to do as well. And to do this, you must first give yourself to the Lord. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. He goes on, then he says that we are to give ourselves to others. He said they gave themselves to others. Um, the first commandment, love your God with all your heart, soul, might, and strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul said they gave themselves first to the Lord and then, and then by the will of God to us. See, it's the will of God that you give yourself to others. When you give yourself to others, you are being like God. In fact, it is the Holy Spirit that is working through you. And we are to care for each other. We are to be concerned for each other. We are to give ourselves to each other. When the Apostle Paul is talking to the Thessalonians, um, he's trying to describe what it's like and what his love for them is. And he says this in chapter 2, verse 8. He says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we are ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but, our ver but also our own selves. Because you become very dear to us. When he's talking about giving yourself to God with all your heart, strength, soul, might, um, and giving to others, this is what he was talking about. He says, not only are we willing to give you the gospel, we're giving, willing to give you our very own selves. And so this idea of giving is he says that they were begging earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. This is that heart of giving, right? It's not giving out of reluctance, but it's this eagerness to help. It is an eagerness, eagerness, eagerness to help other people. And in order to do that, you must look around and you must see the people around you. And you must see the people around you that are in need. And so I ask you, do you look at the people around you? Do you look at others? People outside yourself and people outside your family to see who needs help and in what way do they need help? And do you rush to help them in any way you can? See, when the, when the uh, Macedonians wanted to help those, it says that they were eager to take part in the helping. There's no way that someone in extreme poverty can take care of all the needs, right? It, it doesn't work that way. And God never calls us to do that. But they're like, I want to be part of it. I want to do what God is working in these lives. We see these people. I can't do much. These people could do very, very little. But they did what they could. They took part. And that's God's body that's working together as each one sees that and takes part of it. So one of the things, too, that is very interesting this is when they did this and when they gave, what did Paul say their happiness was like? In verse 2, it says they gave out of the abundance of joy. See, what happened is they're poor, and yet they have this abundance of joy. They have this joy because their faith is in God. God will perfect them. God will provide them. And they are reaching out to others. They are giving themselves to others. Giving themselves to God. When we give ourselves to God, when we give ourselves to others, there's a natural joy that just takes place because we are giving ourselves to others. Um, I've worked for the FAA for 30 years now as an air traffic controller, and now I um, uh, have an office job upstairs. Um, but one of my favorite things to do as an air traffic controller was to train other people to become air traffic controllers. Because the only people who can train air traffic controllers are those who are air traffic controllers. Because they have to sit behind the scope and make sure that everyone is safe while the person training learns how to keep everyone safe. And so one of the funnest things for me, the most enjoyable 
part of my job that I ever had was training other people. Because I was investing in someone else's life. I was reaching into their lives. I was helping them out. And it was that whole thing that you train someone. It takes three years to get through worth of training. And it's one-on-one. -on -one. It's like one person sitting behind another person for you know, three years. There's classroom and simulator and stuff. But basically, it's one person training another one for three years. So you invest in that person. You give to that person. The most joy that I had over the last 30 years was giving myself to other people. It's the way God has created us. It's the way we are meant to be. And that's how they come they had their joy, because they were giving themselves to others. They were giving themselves to God. It was the spirit that was working in them. It was the spirit that was working through them. And that is what this heart of giving is all about. So one of the things that Paul reaches out and talks to is kind of about the amount to give, right? Because here's these people in poverty. And he says this, because the amount that you give is not the important thing. The amount that you give is not the important thing. It's your heart. And he says this in verse 12. He says, if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. God doesn't expect you to give what everyone else is giving. It's not a comparison. It's not keeping up with others. In fact, we don't have the ability to keep up with others at all. He says it's not about what you don't have. It's about what you have. It's about your heart. Because there's no way at all that these Macedonians could ever give what others are giving. In their extreme poverty, they could not do it. But what they could do was they could give according to their means. So think about the story of the widow, right? In, uh, um, I'm not sure, somewhere in the Bible. <laughs> I don't have it written down my notes. There it is right there in Mark. <laughs> I didn't have it written down. I know it's in there somewhere in one of those first couple of books. So anyway, Jesus is talking He's sitting by the, uh, they're sitting in the temple, they're sitting by the treasury, and he sees this widow walk up. And he starts talking to his disciples. He wants to teach them a lesson. It says, as he sat down opposite the treasury, and he watched the people putting money in the, in the offering box, many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make up a penny. And he called his disciples to him, and he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contribute out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything that she had, all that she had to live on. How can someone who's poor give and give and not run out of money? This is one of those paradoxes, right? One of these things that are opposite of what you think should actually happen. Listen to Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 to 25. One gives freely, and yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. There is this concept that if we give, God provides for us. Now this isn't a uh, method to double your money or anything like that, because we already looked at it. The whole point of this is rich not here on earth, right? But it's rich um, in relationships, rich in faith, rich in giving out, rich in reaching out to others, rich in eternity. And yet there is this concept, and I've known many people who just give and give and give, and it seems like they suffer no want and just suffer no lack and are always willing to give. And again, they don't give the whole, but the whole thing is they beg to take part in helping the saints. And I know people who do that. It just seems like no matter how much they give, there's still extra left 
over. It is one of the things that God has said to us. And you know, this is one of the ways, giving is one of the ways that we imitate God. God is a loving God. And God is a giving God. And we imitate Him. We are made in His image. So listen to James chapter 1, verses 17 through 18. It says, Every good gift, and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of the truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. God's gifts are good. God's gifts are perfect. God's gifts are out of His own will. And He made you so that you will be like Him. God wants you to give. And He wants you to give with a heart of love, with a heart that's begging to give. So just think back to um, uh, Mickey's sister, Barb. If I could have given her health, I would have given her health. If I would have given her a, a life that was free from pain and disability, I would have given her a life that was free from pain and disability. If I would have given her, been able to give her that, that pure, holy, righteous life that God promises us, I would have gladly done it. And this is what he's saying, that it's not what we don't have, but what we do have. And the heart is to give like that. If you could give to each other in that way, without limit like God could, would you not? See, that's where we're made in his image. And the natural desire to help out and to reach out and to give ourselves to others is there because we're made in the image of God. God is this kind, loving, gift-giving God. And we are made in his um, image. Paul says also to the Corinthians, he says, excel in this. He says, excel in this. He says in verse 7, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, see that you excel in this great act of grace also. Did you notice those things that he says to excel in? Their faith, their speech, knowledge, earnestness, love. These are all aspects of spiritual growth. They're things that you can grow in. They're things that you can work in. We grow into all of these things. We work on all of these things. And we can look at our spiritual growth by looking where we are now in those categories versus where we were a year ago or five years ago or ten years ago. And we can see the spiritual growth that has taken place. And Paul is telling us that giving is the same way. It is one of these things that we can learn, that we can grow, that we can excel, and we can have more faith in God as we um, do this. And so Paul is telling them, it's good to start and now work on this and finish well. Because they had started a year ago. They had this great excitement. They, they wanted to do this, but they didn't do anything. That warm feeling that they had had grown cold. It's kind of like those New Year's resolution, right? What's the number one New Year's resolution? I'm just making this up. Stats say. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I assume it's number one. Um, but what is one of the top things, right, is to join in gym, right, to exercise, to eat right, to lose weight, right? And what would America be like if everyone who made that resolution to go to the gym, to eat right, to exercise, actually kept that resolution? What would America look like, right? There would be no weight problem whatsoever. All the diet book publishers would go out of business. Most of the magazines would go bankrupt, right? And the gyms would be flourishing. Anybody who owned a gym would probably be like a millionaire at that point. But Paul says, complete what you started. 
complete what you started. Your heart was right. Your desire was right. But when it came to following through, you didn't do it. So he says, excel in this, grow in this, learn in this, and complete what it is that you were started. There's a lot in this passage. At this point, I'm just kind of hitting on some of the different things. Um, but another thing that Paul talks about is our, our sense of justice, our sense of fairness. We all have this sense of fairness that's, that's in there. And so Paul recognizes that, and he addresses that too. Because what he points out, he says, we don't give so that other people don't need to work and that other people don't need to live up to the responsibilities that God has given them. Right? Because we have this God-given sense of fairness, and that would not be right. So in verse 13, he says, I don't mean that others should be eased and you burdened. And nowhere in Scripture does God ever say that you should be burdened so that someone else doesn't have to work. If you look at Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 12, Paul is addressing some of the Thessalonians who aren't working. And he says this. He says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor do we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and with labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For hear that some among you in idleness, some walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now since a person we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do the work quietly and to earn a living. Paul is letting them know if someone can work, they should work. And he goes on to explain how we should work. Because he says, as a matter of fairness, you're... So, in other words, he gives us that, and he's like, okay, this is how it should work. He says, as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need and that there might be fairness. So he's saying is that sometimes people are going to need help now. Situations come up. Crises come up. Events come up. And people need help. And they need it now. And he is telling us, help those people. And these people will in turn help other people. It might be you. It might be someone else. But this is how it is designed to work. So... Look at yourself. If you are able to work, are you working? And if you're able to help others, are you helping others in their time of need? And we know that help is not always financial, right? Even though this passage is talking about the financial aspect and giving, we also know that giving includes things that aren't money. When people need help, when they need um, someone to be there, there's a million different ways that we can help someone that aren't financial. And when we help somebody, whether it's financial or whether it's a different way, God says this is an act of grace. This is an act of grace. Grace is defined as this unmerited gift. It's something you don't earn, but you're given. You don't earn grace, you're given grace. And so when you give to the church, or when you give to others, you are not doing it because they earned it. They did nothing to earn this. It is a gift. It is an act of grace. It is doing what we are made in the image of God to do. In this story, Paul mentions, um, in this last sentence of this passage, he mentions this sentence that comes from an Old Testament story. And what happens is the, old, the, the Israelites have left Egypt. 
They were slaves in, in Egypt. God has taken them out. They're in this wilderness now, and they have no food. There's like a million strong in the wilderness with no food. And God miraculously feeds them. He sends manna from heaven. And every morning when they wake up, there's manna on the ground. So manna is this fine flake-like powder, almost like frost that appears on the ground. And all they have to do is gather it. All they have to do is pick it up. And Moses gives them a couple, oh, actually really just like one rule, but he says that every day you gather just enough for today, and you don't gather anymore, but the, day bef- but the sixth day you gather two days worth, so on the seventh day you can rest. Um, and it says that some gathered more and some gathered less. But when they measured it all out, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. The people who tried to gather for two days was something different than gather much. The people who tried to gather for two days, when they woke up the next day, it was like all rotted and you know, full of maggots and flies and whatever the case is. That's something different. But the people who gathered a lot had enough. The people who gathered little had enough because God was providing for them. God was giving them what they needed, and he was giving it when they needed it. And God does the same for you. God provides for you. We don't always know how, right? We don't always know when. But God is our Father, and he loves us, and he cares for us. And this is why we put our faith in God. We don't put our faith in people. We don't put our faith in jobs. We don't put our faith in our retirement. But we put our faith in God. And he's reminding them through the story of the manna that God will give you what you need every day. So in closing, the same way that Paul encourages the Corinthians, I want to encourage you. Excel in everything. In faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness, and in love. Excel also in giving. Excel in this act of grace. Give yourself first to God. Trust Him. Love Him. Put your faith in Him. And then give yourself to others. Give yourself to the church. Give yourself to the people of the church as God has designed you to do it. What you desire to do, what at first you wanted to do that you thought was right, follow through and do it. Give joyously and generously out of what you have, not out of what you don't have. Even if what you have is poverty. Give to your ability. Give sacrificially, freely, sincerely. And give more than money. Like the Apostle says, we gave our lives as well. Or we gave our hearts to them that we might be part of their lives. You know, Scripture says that we love because He first loved us. We can say the same about giving. We give because He first gave to us. God gives out of love. So you too give out of love. Father God, we come before you. Actually, the band can come up as I close in prayer here. Father God, we come before you. And how can we imagine how much you have loved us? How much you have given for us? How much you have given to us? And how can we possibly imagine the things that you will give to us? How can we imagine what life is like when you give that gift of perfect bodies? When you give that gift of a life that is without sin, 
a heart that is without selfishness, without greed, without pride, without envy, without fear. The gift will be amazing, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, by Your Holy Spirit, they will understand the gifts that You have given us. And the gifts that You will give us, Lord, so that we might love You with all our heart, soul, might, and strength. And that we might truly love each other. And that we might truly give ourselves and our hearts and our lives and uh, anything we can to help each other out. Lord, give us eyes to see the people around us and needs so that we can be a part of it, Lord, whether it's financial or not, whether it's care or concern or kindness or a word or being there or a ride somewhere, whatever it is, a place to stay, uh, whatever it is, Lord, let us give the way that you have called us to give. Lord, I pray that you, by your Spirit, Lord, will help us to excel in this. In your precious and your holy name I pray. Amen.